0: This is the Women with Vision podcast, where we get real with some of the leading entrepreneurial superwomen about what it takes to build a business online and beyond with kids, husbands, and everything else.
1: Hey there, superwomen. I am so excited today to have my next guest. She is a nurse anesthesiologist, author, business consultant, artist, and avid cyclist, And she has a book called Beyond Success with Chef Steph Shinneberry, and she writes about the importance of mindset to success in her chapter, Rule Your Mind to Rock Your Best Life. I'm excited to talk to talk to her because we talked a few months ago when I first met her, and she was sharing with me some of her journey, and I thought it was so intriguing for a woman who has been in the medical profession for over 30 years. Now transitioning to coaching. And I just thought just some of the things she was sharing about her journey was so amazing that I would love to like talk a little bit more about that. Steph Shinaberry, how are you?
0: I'm doing great, Tam. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Yes, I'm so excited to have you. And, you know, like I said, you, you have, you know, built a career in nursing. And you're a nurse anesthesiologist, you've been in that field for thir- over 30 years. And recently, you're starting to help coaches, consultants, experts to design their cornerstone frameworks and create offers, and then also help them to enroll the dream clients that they're looking for. What possessed you
0: <laughs> to make that transition? It's it's kind of like it's kind of crazy. You know, when I went into nursing, I never really intended to stay. I had um, a love for art, and that's what I wanted to do, but through parental kind of pressure of not giving up on like a career and science and all that to make money. Um, I went into um, nursing It kind of at the last minute. I was in my fourth year of college. I had all these other arts and, and science classes and um, I was just going to get my, I was just going to work and go part-time and go back to art school. And then I got married and I had a kid mm-hmm. and, um, and I was miserable. I was, I was absolutely miserable. I hate, I like, I pretty much hated it from you know like and not the work I love the science I love taking care of people but it was all the uh it was just so many other things it's the bureaucracy
1: the uh, the, yeah I heard this a lot yeah the bureaucracy
0: the administration the people that weren't in the trenches making rules and like literally like would like nurses nursing uh they treat you like subordinates and that I mean it's just this whole thing that I could go on a soapbox about that I won't do here um, but, um, so I was pretty miserable. All I wanted to do was go back to art school. Um, and through all of that misery, I, and I'm, I mean, I have, like, I have a history of, um, alcoholism in my family. So I started, uh, drinking and that took me down this path. Um, but eventually, uh, I went back to, uh, art school and, um, best time of my life. And then, um, went back to anesthesia school and have done that for the last 16 or 17 years. And last year, um, no, no, two or three years, it's been two or three years ago, sorry. Um, One of my friends was selling CBD oil and I, and I, I totally believed in it and went into network marketing. And then I was like, going to all these hotel meetings and how do you do this? And like, people were killing it online. I knew they were, I knew there was a way to do it. Right. So I went down this journey of trying to learn how to market online because I was doing it all wrong. Absolutely fell in love with marketing. Absolutely fell in love with teaching people marketing, and then knew that eventually I wanted my own coaching because that's what I love to do. I've always loved to teach and coach since I was, you know, a kid. Um, so uh, that brought me into figuring figuring out that I love helping people with offers and their process and all that. So that's brought me to where I am today. So, well, you know, it makes sense,
1: even though it seems like, why would she go from you know medicine to coaching? But marketing is very art oriented and very creative. It um, is. It is very much so, and I and entrepreneurship is very creative as well. Right. You're just always able to come up with new ideas and try them out, and um, it's very rewarding and fulfilling. I so I get that because I went to school for marketing, so that definitely makes sense. Um, what you know possessed you into starting a business, starting this, this whole, you know, cause you can do that side hustle thing forever or just help a little bit yeah. here and there. But yeah. And yeah. then also what are some of the ups and downs that you, you
0: know, have seen? Right. Those- so uh, uh, I think initially the, you know, the CBD coming into network marketing, there's this whole allure of it's easy entry, you know, low barrier to entry. You don't really have to have a lot of like, like a lot of skills. It's business in a box and, you know, the, the lure of like, you can build this huge team and make all this money. And I'm like, I can speed up my time to retirement. So then I can get in my studio, my art studio, and I can ride my bike and I can do all the things. And um, so that was the initial allure was actually to just speed up my time to retirement. I, I believe that. Mm-hmm. And then I really fell in love with the coaching. And, um, and so the ups and downs have been Well, for one thing, building a network marketing business is, I don't care what they say, it's hard, (laughs) especially now, especially now online, because almost everybody has like, I don't, I get hit up all the time. Like you want to join my business, you want to like, there's so many and there's so much of it going on and they're teaching so many bad techniques Mm -hmm. that everybody's doing the same thing. Um, So there's, so there's that. And I just didn't love it. I didn't love that. uh, That wasn't my thing. It was, you know, um, but I got into affiliate marketing. Um, that's, I love that model. Um, but again, I wasn't just passionate really about any of the, the products that I was promoting, but I was learning how to do all of this stuff. Okay. And so, um, so it's hard, it's really not a straight path. And so coming from like being a high achieving medical professional where this is the goal you want, you do this to go get it. You know, I went to get an art degree. That's what I did. I, I you know, I went and did it. And so there, there are these like straight paths, and entrepreneurship is just not that way. And right. so one of one of the challenges for me was really getting clear on picking one thing because there's so many shiny objects and of picking course. one thing um, and doing that. And also one of the problems I had was I'd take this course and I'd take that course and I'd hire this coach and I'd hire that. And so like just overload and like like blowing tons of money. And some of it some of it was great investments and some of it were, were not the best investments. So, um, you know, all of those uh, like almost, I don't want to, I don't want to call them traps, but like that we get into of just, you know, shiny object syndrome and there's so many options out there. Um, So that, so that's been a real challenge for me and to now to like really um, kind of vet the the coaches or the programs that I join um, and also just to kind of focus on one at a time you know, one thing at a time, but really finding it, you know, getting clear on what it is that you want to do and focusing on that thing and staying with that thing. I mean, think things are going to shift. I mean, I think it took me all of those other tries of different things to help me figure out what it was. Oh yeah, of course. I don't, I don't think they were wrong. They just, they, I had to learn that. That's how I learned, you know, that, that, that they weren't my thing.
1: Yes. And you know, there's a geek out phase, You know, there's like, there's this geek out phase, right? You have to go through this geek out phase because you have to like kind of try and test and pick up and play with and see what sparks your interest, what, what moves you, what gets you super excited and what caused you to go down this road of geeking out. And that's all part of it. And then you finally find a little, oh, this is the thing. This is the actual thing that I've been looking for. Yeah, I love that. Right. And I know you're trying, you're, you're going to be wanting to retire here soon.
0: Yes. Yes. I I definitely uh, want to make the jump from, you know, from full-time and this being the side hustle to um, at least, you know, I thought maybe it, maybe I might go for a year where I just like did a couple of part-time jobs in anesthesia because those are all over the place, Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure I even want to do that. I really, I really just am ready to make the jump. I mean, I've been doing this a long time. And this is coaching is really what fires me up. Like I've never had anything before, you know, I mean, like my other equipment is getting in my studio and making art. And that's just my like zone that I can go and be creative and do that all day. But this is also a creative outlet and I really get to help people with that. And that's, that's really what lights me up is being able to, you know, help people and see the light bulbs go off and help them get results. So I love that part of it. That's great. So
1: I know you were talking a little bit about your struggles with, you know, with alcohol and just tell me how that started. And I know that there's a lot of people that have, that go to these substances or these things that are trying to fill some void or something's happening. So I know this is going, your story is going to help so many people, whether it's alcohol or there's so many things that it could be.
0: Uh, Yeah, this is. So, um. So I have, like, I totally believe in the, um, the, the, the genetic component. Um, my, my dad and my grandfather both were, um, alcoholics. My, my grandfather was in recovery. My dad never made it. Um, and, uh, you know, my, um, I don't know, you never know really what, what causes it, but my parents, my mom and dad split up when I was a baby she got remarried, and, and and I had a great childhood. I mean, but I always had that. Uh, I really feel like I didn't realize this probably till I was in my 40s that I had like abandonment issues from my dad, you know. And we we kind of reconnected when I was an adult, and um, but he was just never there, and he he had another family, and so I know that that there was like a hole there for that because like yeah. you know, you, as a kid, you think, well, what's wrong with me, you know right. that that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I started, uh, drinking some when I was in high school and like from the very first, actually probably junior high from the very first drink that I had, I mean, I loved it. I mean, like, I mean, I absolutely loved it. (laughs) And so, um, by the time I was, when I would drink in high school, you know, there were that I would drink to excess, but I didn't do it very often, Mm -hmm. but it's just the, the progression of the disease is. You know by the time I was in college, um, there was a period I was drinking every day, and then i 'm like I had to get a hold of this, and so I was able to stop and then again started uh, drinking again pretty heavily in my mid to late twenties and then it was on it was on it was it was yeah. um, blackouts and and by the time I was in my early thirties um, it was it was bad and then I had um, I had, I was married, had a kid, got to, and when I was in my mid uh, my, my late 20s, had a child, lovely, beautiful daughter. And then um, my husband and I separated, and I came out as a lesbian in my early thirties. Mm-hmm. And that was really rough. That was really hard for me. My mom was not cool with it, was not I mean, supportive.
1: Pretty, mm-hmm. Not
0: supportive. And I think that just, I just poured on the alcohol and my yeah. daughter and she, she told my, you know, my ex-husband, he came and got my daughter. It was like this whole thing. Oh, I mean, wow. it was like the darkest, like I, like I was having suicidal ideations and ended up fortunately getting into treatment in the mid nineties. And so um, it took a two or three, it took two or three tries for it to mm-hmm. stop, to, to stick. Um, there was a, um, uh, I had to go to employee counseling. Employee health counseling. And this counselor actually told me, he said, You know, once you've, because he knew all the history that was going on with my family and my daughter. He's like, You know, once you uh, get over all of these things, well, then you might be able to drink. Bam, bam. It was like, it, he gave me a, a license to drink. And so like, I, oh, wow. I couldn't get that thought out of my head. Like, I was like, Oh, this is really cool. Because the, uh, the, the brain, once you go, once you've crossed that line in addiction, it's always trying to tell you, you know, that you can drink. And so within a short period of time, I was, um I had yeah. a blackout. I was in you know, I had ended up in the ER on a float. I mean, it's just like this whole, it was, uh, it was like the real deal. Yeah. And so I was eventually, I ended up getting sober and was sober for nine years. And then I went to anesthesia school, moved away from my support system. I had stopped mm. going to any kind of recovery meetings like several years ago. Cause like life was great. Like that's when I went back to art school and I got sober and like life was great. And when I went back to anesthesia school, I was, all these people were partying and like, I I didn't, you know, and so it had been so long. I'm like, you know what, maybe I can drink, you know, maybe, maybe it'll be okay. And if not, then I know exactly what I need to do. Right. And so, and so I did, I drank finally, I'd been in school two or three months and everybody was asking me to go out. And one night I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to give it a try. And so, um, so that drink led me to a nine year battle. Mm-hmm. with trying to get sober. Again. Um, it, it, I was able to manage it for the first few weeks. And then I was just able to manage it enough to get through anesthesia school. And then it was just, it was always just trying to manage it. And the, the weird thing is, once you know that you, that you are an alcoholic or that you have a disease and that you've been in recovery, then you are always, if you go back out, this is what I've heard time and time again. I know it's true for me. You're always trying to manage manage it. You're always trying a different way every time you like relapse. So the next nine years, I would get sober for a year. I'd go in and out, in and out. And and I'm glad that I had, like, I love my story because like I can help people now that like there are two sets of people, one, one group, they get it the first time and they can't understand why anybody would ever pick up again. Right. And the next group are like me, they battle in and out and they don't understand how these people can get it in the first time. Wow. So I, so all stories help each other. And yep. so it's been, I've been sober now for three and a half years, oh, congratulations. Um, having the best time of my life and, um, and. And I think, you know, it's all of the things that we go through are what make us who we are and what make us, of course. you know, beneficial to other people. So, so it's, I it's
1: agree. Good. What do you think, you know, just, and what do you think triggers drinking? Is it literally just going out, being around others that are drinking? What triggers it?
0: Um, I think, uh, so, uh, so I went the, this time, um, this time that I got sober this last time, which, I plan on being the last time that I ever have Mm -hmm. to do that. Um, I had, I had struggled so hard that I ended up going to, um, I went to, I said the only way I'm going to get sober is to get to step out of my life and go to treatment. So I went to rehab for like seven weeks Mm -hmm. and, um, I learned so much. I was so glad that I went because I didn't really understand all the chemistry in the brain. And literally it's a, um, so once uh, so it's basically at your amygdala level, you're, the communication between your amygdala and your frontal lobe. Mm-hmm. But um, there is once I think like I can walk some days I, It's like having the greatest light, you know, because there's that memory of that, that euphoria is always there. Mm-hmm. So um I can walk down a a aisle in the liquor store and, and my brain will start saying, man, I've never tried this beer and I beer, and I loved beer. And so, Mm -hmm. so I would start I'll start like having this fantasy about it. Mm -hmm. And then like, Oh, the fantasy leads to actually a release of dopamine that says this would feel so good. and, And my brain starts to, so it's like, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be a good day. Like I know that sometimes riding my bike will trigger a, a craving because I can say, "Man, this would be a perfect day to go sit out on the patio at Jose's oh, on wow. Dixon Street and drink beer and or drink margaritas and have chips and salsa with friends." So, so though, so it doesn't take a lot. Now I will tell you that I know that for me, like I could get angry and that would be a trigger. It would be an immediate like, "Oh, I gotta have a drink." So. Yeah. Um, so learning how to manage your emotions and live in, you know, and, and live with the everyday intention of, thank God I'm sober, I don't plan to drink today, you know, and living within those um, things, because I really believe that we, we have this wiring, and it's yes. always there. And as long as we can keep, keep it polished and keep the new wiring on top, yes. then we're okay. It's when we stop, you know, when we when we stop doing that, we fall back to the old wiring. And so I know that I'm not safe from having a drink, but if I keep doing all the things that I need to do, um, and this has been a little hard. I will tell you, you know, since since we are in the COVID moment yeah, here, I bet um, it's been hard because I haven't been going to my normal meetings. Um, we have some on Zoom, and I literally I cannot I can't hardly tolerate it because all the people it's like, it's, it's a trip. They're not used to Zoom meetings, most of them, and they're talking and breaking each other up and they go on and on. And I'm like, I've been on Zoom all day already. I can't tolerate this. So So I'm trying to just, you know, do other things and talk to people and that kind of stuff. So yeah, that was long winded, but that's, that's no, that
1: was great. That was great. You know, in my family, uh, I know my mom has always said that, alcoholism is on my dad's side. My dad wasn't around, you know, since I was Mm -hmm. four. So alcoholism was on my dad's side. And what's interesting is my sister, I think, and she, I don't think she ever had any like serious problems with, with going down that road, but she always loved to drink and Mm -hmm. she does drink often. And if I was, if I was a betting person, I would say she probably has a glass of wine every single day. That would be my bet. Okay. Okay. Um, but I'm not around her to, to be able to say that for sure. Right. Um, now on the flip side, me, my first drink, I had a horrible
0: experience.
1: Every time I've ever drank, I, I get that don't feel so great.
0: <laughs> You're not an I, alcoholic. then. No.
1: And I got just the opposite. So- and so I've never really drank that much because it doesn't make me feel that great. And, right. uh, recently I found out that my pancreas doesn't
0: process alcohol that well. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. it's not something. Yeah. So it, yeah. I think so, you're
1: right when you said you are kind yeah. predispose and there's a makeup there.
0: Yeah, we, we do, we, we process it differently. I can't remember. There's actually a chemical thing going on. Um, it's very, the science is extreme. I'm like fascinated by the science of course, yeah. but yeah, it's extremely interesting. But if you, if you leave a half a drink on the table, we call that alcohol abuse. So Um, so you're definitely if you do that you're you're a normie and we we call that out it's like it's amazing to to go out with people that are in recovery and people that are not and and they're just watching like they'll take all night to drink a drink and you know it's just you don't notice these things until you're it's just really interesting you know but um but yeah, it's I'm usually
1: nursing the drink, not really wanting to drink the drink, but trying to be normal around other people because they, you know, people sometimes look down on you if you don't really drink. So right. sometimes I they, will get a drink just to have it. And then I'm sure somebody else is looking at me like they do sometimes pointing out the fact that you've had that same drink for three hours, yeah. you know? Yeah. So let me,
0: so let me tell you the other perspective on that. And, and I used to like, that was one of the things that I, that I worried about was getting sober and then going out with my friends who would be wondering why I wasn't drinking, especially since they knew how I drank. Right. And so I usually would tell somebody so that I wouldn't be like, because I, what I would, because many times I would go out and not tell anybody and say, Oh, what the hell? It's, you know, one more time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, but once I really figured out, cause I would be the person wondering why you were taking all night to drink and drink. Okay. But I think people that drink a lot do wonder and people that are normal drinkers, they don't care whether you drink or not. Right. They don't care, yeah. you know? So, so a lot of times I've found that people that are, that are so concerned about what other people are drinking, want them to to, to keep up with them and they want, you know, but, but I don't know. That's just my um, perception.
1: Yeah. That's it's so, it's very interesting,
0: but I'm glad. Thank you so much for sharing that because I
1: know it's helping people, a lot to know that they're not alone. And especially no. right now, because it's so stressful,
0: right? And it is, you know, the thing I, w- I want to add this because if, if it, it, you know, I'm always, if my story helps one person, then it's, then it's been worth it. But yeah. it's so easy to think we can do it on our own. Cause I did, I kept saying, I'm going to make this work today. Like today I'm not going to drink and buy, you know, it, that never lasted. And until I was really willing to do whatever, you know, it took to get sober. Um, then I was not able to, and um, it's not something you can really taper off of. It's, you right. know, total absence is the only way that you can. The, for me, anyway, for me, and I really think it's more powerful than than one per, than trying to do it on your own. So, so asking for help, and it's really sad that there's still a lot of like. Um, people still look down on people in recovery, which is, you know, which is crazy. And I think the medical field is actually some of the worst, very judgmental, but, yeah. um, which, you know, you would think they would understand that it's, that it's not a moral thing, but it's an illness and, right. and a lot of people still don't do that. So, um, but, but it, you know, I used to wonder how I could a- even enjoy life without alcohol and my life is so much better and joyful than it ever was with alcohol that, um, it's really about, you know, being a whole person and just taking care of whatever that was, that was that you were trying to pour the gasoline on to make it go away.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think that's, I think there, if it's not alcohol, like I said before, it's something that sometimes we're trying to mask or cover up or forget. Yeah. Shopping
0: or, or, I mean, there's all kinds of like addictions. Food for sure is a big addiction for most people. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: Um, What's some other obstacles or challenges along your journey that you have had to work through, you know, even in your business?
0: Yeah, I think, I think really, for me, the biggest challenge overall is, is time and trying to, to manage, pardon me, manage everything in it. it, It's been that way all along, because I've always like, you know, trying to do so many things. But now that I've got coaching clients, and I'm, you know, um, actually trying to expand my business it's really tough with a job. And so um, just really trying to learning to like, I've hired a VA um, and trying to get help on board to take some of the things that, that I don't have to do off my plate. Yeah. Um, so that's been a huge challenge for me. It continues to be, and I know that it will continue to be until I can, you know, c- talk and leave my job. But, um, but it's, I think one of the things with me is I'm very persistent and I don't give up and and I attribute that a lot of that to um to my my being an athlete and being an endurance athlete and being punishing to my body just you're you know you can't stop me I'm gonna keep going so I I think that's part of part of my tenacity is just what's you know kept me going because like I mean there's been times where I'm like am I ever gonna be able to do this is this ever gonna work and 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 it is, and comparing myself now to where I was two years ago of, like, not knowing anything, it's like, now I'm coaching people. It's, yeah. cra- it's crazy the the progress that you make if you just stick with it. That's
1: so, so true, so true. How do you stay motivated um, every day? Because, like you say, you're busy, and there's so much to do. You have a job, and you have this business that you love. How do you stay in, in the game?
0: Yeah, I think, I think there's a couple of um, – Well, there's probably two or three now. I think one is I really want to do this because I because it lights me up to do it. Mm -hmm. And to be able to do it, I have to like really make it work. It can't be something I'm dabbling in. It has to be my main focus. And so that's a big driver for me. I get out of the bed in the morning excited to work on my business. And so, um, you know, especially when I'm not working, when I don't have to go to work. Yeah. Um, like what, like now work is in the way, like it's literally, and I still oh, yeah. love my job, but it's like, Oh gosh, I've got to all these things to do and trying yeah. to, you know, figure out how I can do it around my work. So that, and then, um, I really want to impact a lot of people because I think part of my love for what I'm doing is I was miserable for so many years in my career Um, before really, I mean, I haven't been miserable in anesthesia, but as a nurse, I was really not happy. I mean, I was always looking for a way out, a way to work less, a way to escape. What can I do? I thought about, I thought about like owning my own hair salon. Um, Like I just didn't know how to do it. But um, now I know how to do it. I know how to teach people how to do it if they want to have their own gig, their own um, business. I know how to teach people how to do that. Yes, And um, also I just have this passion of helping people like live up and reach their highest potential and get to do the things that they want to do. And that's a real driver for me. And I want to help a lot of people do that. So,
1: Very good. Very good. How do we stay um, or find you? Like where actually, actually, before we ask that question, before we ask that question, Mm -hmm. I know there's so many people out here. I know I was one of them at, the, at some point where I was like you busy at my, two, my, my, my job was getting in the way of my business. Right. Yeah. And uh, that took me a long time to get there because I didn't know what I wanted to do. But once I did and it's caught on fire, it was like, Oh my God. Okay. So now there's some other people that are at their job and they're thinking, how do I get the heck out of here? How do I, you know, start defining what I want to do. So what would you tell someone like that, who was in corporate, they're in a career, but they want to really transition out of their job. Um, They know they're seeing retirement or seeing some kind of another
0: thing that they want to do. What would you tell them? Right. There are so many ways. What I think what I would say is there, there's a couple of ways to do it. One is if just ask yourself, if you have a skill or a passion. There are like over, I know there's like over 400 something niches out there, probably more than that. Oh yeah, of course. Any, anything that you have that you can teach someone or share with someone, um, you can monetize it. And especially, I mean, coming from corporate, I'm sure there are like, you know, so many different skill levels and skill sets that, that people that have already. Turn into a business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So really it's identifying that, how you can help people and um, and then um, and then learning a little bit about marketing and, and putting yourself out there. I mean, there's there's different things, of course, but yeah, a lot of it is a lot of it is, is getting your is if you could have a skill set that you can transfer to other people, and then learning how to market that. I love it. So, how do we stay in touch with you? How do we find you? Yeah. So um, I think the best way is on Facebook, and it's just Steph Shinneberry. And then I have a Facebook group. If you are interested in turning your um, turning your passion into a business, it's Purpose Driven Profits for Coaches, Consultants, and Experts.
1: Awesome. Well, Steph, thank you so much. It's been amazing talking to you. And I cannot wait to do more stuff with you in the future.
0: I can't either. I'm excited about this relationship and this ongoing, seeing what you're up to. I, you're doing amazing things. So. Oh, oh,